0: So just a quick minute for you guys to breathe. We're gonna start (laughs) Hebrews ten. Which picks up on a lot of the same themes, so much so I should have, you know, warned Mark, you know, what I was gonna talk about. The veil in the temple being torn in two. Did I steal your (laughs) thing? No, yeah, no, 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 we're good. Yes. Oh, yeah, you just imagine, like, a little, like, linen, paper, torn, right? But it's, like, full-on tapestry, you know, <laughs> thick cords, and uh, it's, it's also, it, rep- it does, it has the cosmos on it, you know, like, it's even been described in non-biblical sources of what was on that veil, and so very much that whole tearing through the cosmos and like the beginning of, of the Gospel of Mark with the heavens were opened you know, it, like there's those heavens where the Holy Spirit, you know, bursts through and then there's the heavens that were there in the temple and it was there in, on the veil it was imprinted on the, the veil, was the, all of the heavens and God you know, piercing through, coming through that infinite distance between God and man and he covers it all you know, he, he tears through it all Maybe I'll, maybe I'll just skip to that. I love the detail, too, that it was torn from top to bottom because it is torn from bottom to top once a year when the priest pierces his way through and opens it. So humans can go bottom to top, but it took someone who has, who's from the top, you know, Jesus, divine, it, it took someone from the top, you know, who, who can pierce it from the top to really get through. You know, so, so kind of that reversal where, you know, every year there's someone who goes in from the bottom, but like this time it was torn from the top because God is the one who's, who's coming through versus the cloud. So yeah, uh, Hebrews 10. So if, if you guys have an eye on the clock, again, we started 30 minutes late, so we have about 30 minutes left. So don't let me hold you too much longer. Um, again, I'll stay however long you guys want to stay, but uh, we'll say a closing prayer in about 30 minutes and, and let anyone, anyone go. So uh, we are celebrating Ascension, you know, tomorrow, tonight, already. So I did want to kind of preface with uh, these two images, you know, one from the Old Covenant, one from the New. And the sacrifice being offered in that first image is the holocaust now we've talked about a lot of the sacrifice of the day of atonement you know forgiveness of sins on the people there's lots of different sacrifices of the old covenant and all of them sort of are shadows of the life of jesus you know this these many different sacrifices many in that there were there were many of them and also that they were repeated you know every year or every day or every week they all turn into one jesus's whole life is a sacrifice, is a perfect sacrifice back to God. And so, for the example of the Holocaust, right, it's this total burnt offering. Everything is offered to God. There's no part that's kept for the priest or for the people. It's all up to going up to God. And that's really what we celebrate in the Ascension as well, is that perfect offering of Jesus' whole life back to the Father. You know, everything that he's done on earth is summed up in him and returns to God in this sort of Holocaust. So you can start to read every part of Jesus' life as a different type of sacrifice, he sort of brings it all together. So we're going to see a lot of that throughout chapter 10. Um, This first uh, image that we get from verse 1 is about the shadows. (laughs) So, since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of them, it can never make perfect those who come to worship by the same sacrifices that they offer continually each year. Um, So, up there, an image, you know, classical Greece, um, Plato's allegory of the cave. I'm not going to go into it too much, but you know, in the Hellenistic world or the ancient world, they would have known about the shadows on the wall. That you know, a lot of times we go through life, and all we experience really are the shadows. You know, like someone who's chained in a cave, and there's this light behind them casting shadows on these real things, but all they're looking at is uh, is the image. You know, it's kind of like early television, right? They they, they knew what was coming. Television was gonna absorb our whole life. (laughs) And we forget the real things that are out there. We give them up for the things on our phone, right? (laughs) Um, But there's a beautiful image in that of of a shadow versus the reality, right? And I'm gonna steal this from from Mark, right? What is the shadow of a cube? It's a square. is in a square, I'm trying to draw in 3D. You know, a shadow sort of, you, 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 you get the shape of it, but only in two dimensions, right? But the reality is three dimensions, right? The reality is so much more. So much more than just what was on that square. Uh, and so, but that's what the Old Testament is, though. It is this square. And it makes this sort of foundation so that when the reality comes, we know that it fits. I think that's why the Old Testament, again, doesn't pass away. It's not useless to us. But again, there's so much more in Jesus. And yet it does give us the shadow. It gives us that imprint to know that this is where it fits. You know, like the baby who's got to take that block and put it through the hole. The the hole that has the right shape, the shadow, you know. God gives us this shape in the Old Covenant so that when Jesus comes and passes through that shape, we know that this is of God. We know that this is what he's really trying to reveal to us so that's what i love about that that image of the shadow has been there the old covenant the shape was given to us and now the reality is here there's so much more to it it's that eternal cube i don't know i'm i'm, <laughs> I'm gonna think about that cube it's gonna be in my dreams from now on heaven as a cube uh we're gonna talk about blood again i'm glad you brought it up uh, towards the end, because what is that language? Why, why is the old covenant so obsessed with blood? <laughs> right? It, uh, it's everywhere. Why does every sacrifice have to have blood? So, from Hebrews, it talks about all these sacrifices. They would have been—they would have ceased to be offered if the worshippers had honestly been cleansed by them. They would no longer have had any consciousness of sins. You know, if if these sacrifices really took away sins. They would have already taken away the sins of all of Israel, and there would be no more need of them, right? But in those sacrifices, there's only this yearly remembrance of sins. It's impossible that the blood of bulls and goats take away sins. So I want to talk about blood for a second, and what blood is, right? Um, I think in Leviticus, maybe, there's a famous line, um, in the blood is, is life, right? So even from just this experiential knowledge we know if your blood is gone your life is gone so there there's almost this dual nature to to every being that has life they have a body and they have blood and in the blood is the life in the body is death so it's really interesting when whenever the sacrifice in the old covenant is given they're supposed to eat the body but they're not supposed to eat the blood Because what's happening is they're supposed to partake in the death of this animal. Because the death is what saved them. For instance, you know, this is Abraham and Isaac. Can't quite tell. Abraham, who was asked to offer his son Isaac, and he said, God himself will provide the offering. And God does. He provides a ram, which takes the place of Isaac. So the death of that ram really did sort of save Isaac there. So when we eat of that body... We're, we're sort of eating, again, of the Passover lamb. You know, you were supposed to die. You were the firstborn in Egypt. All of the firstborn of Egypt was supposed to die. But this lamb is taking your place. So you eat of the dead thing because it took your death away. But you don't eat of the blood because that's the life of a goat, of a ram, of a bull. You don't want the life of a goat or a ram or a bull. Like, that's not the life you want. So what happens in the New Covenant? You know, everything sort of turned on itself. Yes, you are to eat of my body, but also drink of my blood. That's why it's such a scandal to the Jews. Like, how can this guy not just give us his body as food? That's a scandal, yes. (laughs) Certainly. But his blood as a drink. So in his body, again, we eat of his body. His death takes our place. Again, we we are ransomed. You know, the punishment, the curse of the law, is you know is taken off of us and onto him. But then also in his blood, you know the this this life is given us. We partake of a of a new life. Uh, that life that God didn't want us to have from the bulls and goats that the bulls and goats blood couldn't give. You know, it did sort of show that your death, you know, has been turned around. You know, you have have not died. This animal has died, but you have not died. But they're still waiting for this gift of life. Real life. And that's what Jesus' blood can give. So, then you may ask, well, (laughs) Father, why don't we receive from the chalice at every Mass? Is Is that a scandal we don't receive the blood of Jesus? Well, again, in the church's teaching of the sacraments, that you know, when the priest takes, there's a part of Mass where the priest will take a piece of the precious host and he will drop it into the chalice you know when when he consecrated them separately it's sort of the body's over here the blood is over here that's the death of jesus that's the crucifixion when he commingles them again when he reintroduces the the bread that has been consecrated into the body of christ reintroduces that into the chalice body and blood are now together again it's the resurrected it's the resurrection so when you receive a host, you're receiving not the dead body of Jesus, you're receiving resurrected body, which includes his body, blood, soul, and divinity. So you receive the smallest fragment of the host or the smallest drop of blood you know, of, of, from the chalice, you know, either one, you know, you're receiving the full body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus in, in the sacraments. So to not worry too much, uh, blood has been spilt. Um, uh, you know, wars have been fought over receiving from the chalice. I think in Poland, and John John use I think one of the the first Protestant, the original Protestant, was over that issue. So maybe you still have a problem with that. Uh, we can talk more. But uh, oh, this is where I, I want to take a, a little departure from Hebrews just again to learn how do we read the Bible. So uh, this line uh, next, talking about the blood of Jesus again. And, and, you know, what Jesus did when he came to offer his sacrifice, you know, he he kind of appeals back to the Psalms. For this reason, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Holocaust and sin offerings you took no delight in. Uh, A body you prepared for me. The fathers of the church loved that line. Just like Mark was saying with, you know, the high priest would tabernacle himself to go into the sanctuary. You know Jesus tabernacled Himself among us. You know, as as that first chapter of John said, Fred loves that verse as well. He he loves that verb tabernacled among us. Um, God prepared a body for Jesus. He is the Word made flesh. You know, He took on a body uh, like us in all things but sin. And then I said, as it is written of me in the scroll, behold, I come to do Your will, O God. That means CCD is almost done. <laughs> no more CCDs. And so I put a picture of this saint. He is uh, a saint in both the Catholic and Orthodox Church. I think this is an Orthodox cross. Anyway, uh, his name is Saint Maximus the Confessor. Uh, he's actually one of the last fathers of the church in the West. Something like that. He actually had his tongue cut out at one point to try to stop him from preaching the truth uh, against a lot of like people who had missed like what does it mean that Christ came in the flesh that a body you prepared for me I come to do your will this is basically his verse you know, the verse of his glory <laughs> you know he defended this teaching of Christ and it has to do with I mean, the two wills of Jesus Jesus actually had two different wills which is weird to think about he had the divine will you know the same between God father and spirit is there's just one divine will uh, a perfect communion of hearts <laughs> between the three. But then he also had a human will. That's why when he's in the garden, you know, he can honestly say, Father, take this cup from me. That doesn't make sense. If you think about Jesus being truly divine, isn't, shouldn't he have total agreement with the Father? Why is there this sort of division? But then if Jesus is just a human, you know, uh, we might say, well then, why does his sacrifice matter? Jesus is only human, what makes his sacrifice different than anyone else who offers himself. So Maximus, you know, looks at what scripture has given us and and shows that there's both this human will that comes into full communion with the divine will. Um, And why that's so important is because everything that happens to Jesus by nature happens to us by grace. And so that's where we're going to go into a way of reading the Bible um, of going through, you know, everything that happens to Jesus is also something that is meant to happen to us by grace. So, if again, if Jesus doesn't have these two wills, then what would it mean, right? That, you know, our human will is totally corrupt. We need to totally destroy it and live only by the divine will. And that's not what God envisions for us. He wants to instead, you know, bring our will into total alignment with Him to have this communion of wills. Just like in Jesus, there's this communion of wills between the human and the divine. So also in us, by grace, there will be this communion. We don't have to destroy our will. Uh, Neither is it our human will that can achieve this on our own, right? We need the divine will to to come to us, to be in us, to save us. So there's a lot to that controversy that I can't really get into, but it it allows me to, to get into this way of reading scripture Uh, and maybe you've uh, seen this before, especially in the Catechism, they're they're the four senses. Four senses of Scripture. Uh, So what is a sense, right? Sight, hearing, taste. No, a way that we take something in. So there's these four ways that the Church gives us that... The church fathers used as well, in which we take in Scripture, we take in what we read, and so their names are. Uh, again, you may you may have read this, you may know this, but the literal sense, and, and then there's three spiritual senses. Uh, you can almost uh, let's let's use this. This is great. The literal sense is almost the shadow, the the, uh, the foundation, you know, the, the base on which all the other senses are built. And then there's three spiritual senses, which sort of you know, boost us up to that third dimension. Uh, they are, well, the, the, these words, they're gonna look complicated. I promise you they're not, they're not that bad, but, the allegorical, the moral, and the anagogical. go to the catechism and find these um, and read about them more, but uh, I I just love again, starting with the literal you know, what is the the gospel writer, what is the author of Hebrews, you know, literally trying to get to, what is he trying to say, so again uh, there's going to be we're going to skip to the next verse, do this exercise Uh, maybe two verses away Can't remember where I'm at. Ah, oh, this is the one. The veil is torn. See, I was going to talk about it. Let's let's do this one, right? You know, in a very literal way, when he talks about Jesus, we have. Through the blood of Jesus, we have confidence of entry into the sanctuary, into the holy place. By the new and living way, he opened for us through the veil that is his flesh. So, in a very literal way, we can see that he's talking about the temple. You know, he's alluding to all these realities of the veil that stood in between the holy place and the holy of holies. You know, we can go into all that insights, talking about the historical circumstances. We we kind of get this literal sense of what the author of Hebrews was talking about. But then we can dive deeper into the scriptures, because every word of scripture is inspired by the spirits. It's all bound together in that same power, and so they speak to one another. Different verses speak to one another um, in a way beyond what the author of Hebrews may have even intended. So, for allegorical, we we sort of always think of Christ. Every part of scripture is an allegory for Christ, is, is a type of Christ. And obviously, Hebrews is speaking about Jesus, so it kind of comes automatically, but you can think of even in the old covenant, you know, this high priest that goes into the temple, into the holy of holies. Sorry, who clothes himself? He's an allegory of Christ. You know, the writers didn't know that at the time that they were writing this sort of prophecy of what the Messiah would look like when he comes. They just thought that they were writing about the temple or about the tabernacle. But but you can see that it's a type of Christ. You could, you could say the author of Hebrews is doing an allegorical reading of Old Testament. Of the Old Testament. He's reading the veil allegorically. He, he is definitely that. doing yeah. that, yes. He's, he's doing all three of these, yeah. really. He, the author of Hebrews is doing this. taking the literal sense of the Old Testament, yes, and then reading in with the eyes of faith, with the light of charity and love, and the spirit. Um, all these things. I also like to think of the allegorical as confirming sort of our our own identity in Christ. You know, we we can uh, see in the allegorical sense. You know, so with Christ. You know, so also with us. You know, our identity. You know, we can see the identity of Jesus. We can also see our own identity. In this case, you know, as these this nation of priests. You know that this veil has been opened, that we have a place also in the holy of holies with God, you know, in the very presence of God. Uh, the moral sense. So this, you know, I'm going to write, kind of refers very much to the church, and by that I mean, you know, the church is the body of Christ. <laughs> the moral sense, again, teaches us how we are to behave as well, how we are to act, how we act differently because of this literal sense. So, what does the author of Hebrews suggest? That we should have this confidence. Uh, Confide, (laughs) with faith, uh, is is literally what confidence means. You can see the word fide within it. Fide means faith. This with faithness to all things because of what Jesus has done. Again, we have this newfound identity And it gives us, again, moral sense often has to do with mission. It gives us this new sense of mission. Uh, Again, a lot of God's project, right, was to extend his presence to all creation. Adam and Eve, they lost that mission. And so this verse can sort of restore our sense of that mission, that the veil has been torn open, that God's presence is unleashed, that we can extend that presence now to the ends of the earth. So the church kind of receives her mission in every word of Scripture. and can sort of speak to your mission as well. So again, every word of Scripture can speak, again, Jesus is the key. Try to try to link it to Jesus somehow, even if it seems very obscure, you know, the sky is falling, the sun and the moon will be clouded, you know, overcast. Well, that's a crucifixion or something, you know? It refers to Christ. Then it refers to the church, it refers to our mission as well. How does this... You know, what are those dark moments of my life when it seems like everything's gloomy and gray maybe I'm at the crucifixion, right? I'm, I'm there. Uh, again, my mission. And then the anagogical. Uh, again, anagogical literally means, you know, leading upward, going upward. And so it refers to every verse is given us in this life, in this age, but it's preparing us for the world to come, for the new heaven and the new earth. So, you know, we have the cube, yes, the author of Hebrews has taken again this again this literal sense of this veil that has been torn open. The Holy of Holies again now extends to all of creation. Holy of holies is ever everyone can enter the presence of God, see him face to face. That's that, that's that vision of heaven. That's that that's our destiny. So these are three words for me that uh, you will find in all of my teachings in high school, and maybe they'll put these on my gravestone someday. You know? <laughs> identity, mission, destiny. You know, we have our identity in Christ, we have our mission in the church, and our destiny in heaven. And, and these three senses, these three sort of senses to use during during your reading of scripture. Again, they're kind of like seeing, hearing, tasting, right? You, you gotta you gotta kind of activate those and, and like focus on those. Um, and try to hear with those, you know, in these words uh, to confirm, again, your identity in Christ, your mission in the church, and your destiny uh, to heaven. So, hopefully that again, that gives you some tools uh, to take to your own scriptural reading. Um, again, last time we sort of talked about Lectio Divina, uh, that sort of step-by-step way to, to go through a scripture passage. Uh, this week, the senses of scripture, sort of what you're listening for when you read a scripture passage, what is Jesus trying to show you? Well, probably one of those three things is kind of a good bet. He wants to confirm in you your identity, your mission, or your destiny in some way or another within the word of God. So I think we skipped a couple couple things that I wanted to get to. Um, I love this moment. The uh, You might not be able to tell. This is this is teenage Jesus, age 12. And he's in the temple. And this is where the teachers of the law are so amazed. Not necessarily at his answers, but specifically in the scriptures, at his questions. He had lots of questions for him, just like any good 12-year-old does. As I know when I go into the classrooms at NAM, their questions amaze me. So this line reminded me of this moment, and I'll tell you why. So he says, sacrifices and offerings, Holocaust and sin offerings you to desire nor delighted in. These were the old law. Behold, I come to do your will. So he takes away the first to establish the second. And by this will we have been consecrated through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So this sort of turning from the first to the second. It reminded me of this moment. Uh, Jesus in the finding of the temple. We, we remember, you know, Joseph and Mary were taking him on their pilgrimage. You know, everyone would go at, you know, at least once a year. They're supposed to go three times a year, I think. But, you know, go to the temple and see this liturgy play out. And something's different about 12-year-old Jesus, though. This is, this is very remarkable. Why was he 12 years old when this happened? Because up until that point, you know, he's a child. He's supposed to go with Mary to the place where the women and children are, they sort of worship in their place, and they have their liturgies. Whereas the men sort of go in, and they actually see the sacrifice. Now, part of that might also be like, women and children, let's not show them blood. You know, let's not show them the lamb dying, and all this stuff. You know, so it's maybe like this gentleness that they have in their liturgies, that the men, they like, no, I want to be at the grill, the barbecue. I want to, like, I want to see the Holocaust being offered. You know, and I want to see, like, the, the, the throat being slit. Anyway, yeah, the, 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 the real stuff, right? So this was the first year Joseph, that Jesus gets to see the Passover sacrifice. Like, up close and personal. So what he sees, right, part of the Passover sacrifice, these lambs being led to the slaughter, you know, opening not their mouths. So, you know, little Jesus and his humanness is already kind of developing that awareness You know, even in his humanity, you know, he's a child, so he's asking those questions, right? That would come up to a child's heart. Even though in his divinity, he already knows all this, right? But in his humanity, he's growing in this. So he sees the lambs. He sees the lambs being also, like, skewered on a pole. You know, the lamb almost being nailed to a cross, almost. Uh, So he experiences that sacrifice, right? And so he has all these questions for these scholars of the law, right? Because he knows know in his divinity uh that you know he will this is the shadow that his life is meant to draw out so i also love that it was the the first time jesus was with joseph and not with mary and that's why he got lost you know mary took good care of jesus for the first 11 years and then the first year the first chance joseph had he lost him Uh, i i just i laugh at that every time But again, you know, just think of little little boy Jesus, you know, coming to see these shadows in his human nature for the first time. Again, his human nature has a real will, a a real, a real, uh, you know, humanity to it. So I always love thinking of little boy Jesus and just what that was like to to watch that, to watch him grow in the eyes of God and man. Um, in In the interest of time. There's there's the lamb bound, you know, as one would be bound to a cross, and there'd be a a pole sent through it, you know, like pierced with a lance, almost, right? Um, so again, Jesus seeing all these things, um, it is perfected. I think we, we've talked about that a couple of times. That language of of a sacrifice being done, of a priest being ordained. You know, you would. It's sort of the last words. You know, like, go in peace. Um, I, I loved that, going to Israel, leaving the airport, and it said, go in peace, uh, <laughs> over the sign. I'm like, oh, that's so, that's just like the mass, like, go in peace, you know. That's just how you say goodbye. Um, but it's actually a similar word for it is perfected to go in peace. <laughs> it's like one letter difference. You know, you know, Baba Shalom, like, is like, go in peace. Mashalam is it is perfected, it is completed, it has come to peace, it has come to the end. Uh, so, there's this sort of moment at the end of a sacrifice or an ordination when they would declare, You know, it is done, it is fulfilled, it is completed. You know, we have our the sacrifice, has been done, or the priest has been ordained in the old covenant. And so, that moment happens again on the cross. Jesus, it is, it is finished, it is terminated. It is consummated, it has come to fulfillment. So a new priesthood, a new sacrifice has been enacted. One that will not be repeated, but will be, you know, remembered, re-entered into throughout the rest of history. Uh, we, we had this quote from Jeremiah last week, but um, to kind of bring a new dimension to it. Uh, again, new dimensions are coming in all over the place here. Um, the Holy Spirit also testifies for us after saying this is the covenant I will establish with them after those days. Says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and I will write them upon their minds. He also says their sins and their evil doings I will remember no more. Where there was forgiveness of these, there was no longer offering for sin. So I put a little, um, Was that, Heston? Charles took Heston. Charles- Charles- I knew he was like. Charlton Heston, yes, from the, the Ten Commandments, and this beautiful proto-Hebraic text of the Ten Commandments—that's uh, that's there, yes. Uh, yeah, there you go. So, um, but looking at those tablets, um, I do want to uh, share. You know, this is this is a little more theological musings. This is not the official position of the church, but. Uh, It's also not been, you know, officially declared. You know, we always think of the two tablets of stone. And what's on the first tablet of stone? It's commandments... One through through five. That would be, you know, trying to divide them equally. But usually we think of one through three, the commandments that refer to God, right? And then four through ten, the commandments that refer to neighbor, you know? So love God, love neighbor and that's why there were two tablets of stone. But there's another way to read it, which is like two tablets, why did they need two tablets? They ran out of room on the first one. It's like surely God had a better plan than that, right? So, another way to read why there are two tablets of stone and not just one that has all the laws is because on the first tablet there was commandments 1 through 10. So what goes on the second commandments, one through 10, what's what's happening, right? Um, It's a covenant. When you have a covenant, you have to give one copy to the king who's making the covenant with his people and you have to give one copy to people. So Hammurabi's Code, you know, in ancient Babylon would have this huge pillar in the middle of town. That was the tablet of stone that was given to the people. And you'd have the code that was the little one kept from the king. So each one knows the conditions of the covenant, right? And then where were the two tablets kept? You know, Moses brought both tablets down the mountain. And, okay, yes, he uh, used them to destroy the golden calf. (laughs) They were sin. God actually had him rewrite. You know, God wrote on the first tablets. Moses actually wrote the second so actually, we don't have the tablets that were touched by God. Sin kind of came in the way and destroyed those. Again, Old Covenant uh, just being a shadow, not being the fulfillment, right? So Moses writes these next two, but they both come down the mountain with them. And that's a really important gesture because what does God say throughout Exodus is that I will be with you. So his copy of the Ten Commandments isn't up in heaven. It's with them in the Ark of the Covenants. God goes with them. Grouts, all their journeys in the deserts and all the way into the temple, you know, the the tablets are there in the Ark of the Covenant. And so I love this because again, back to Maximus the Confessor who defended the two natures of Christ, he is fully God and fully man, you know, he also in his own body sort of bears both type tablets of the Ten Commandments, you know, in his flesh he has our copy, you know, the law written on his hearts, and of course in his divinity, he is the Word of God. You know, so this is definitely written on his divinity as the very Word of God. So in him, it's sort of the two tablets combined in one, and this is what's promised by Jeremiah that my law will be written on your hearts. It starts with the law that's written on a new heart, which is the heart of Jesus. It starts with that. So, Charleston Heston had, had a lot to teach me about the Ten Commandments. Uh, just love that. So, uh, I said we would end in 30 minutes, and 30 minutes is up. But uh, just to, you know, there are so many more things, right? You can go, you can read the rest of chapter 10. You see that sprinkling clean moments, again, sprinkled with the blood of the covenant, um, That same gesture um, happens on Pentecost that we're about to celebrate as well. The sprinkling um, that Peter does to baptize the faithful that day, recommit them to the people of God. Um, We have this holding on to our confession and the confession before it referred to a sacrament actually referred to this thing, which is the tomb of a martyr. This is the tomb of St. Paul. And that being their confession, you know, holding fast to the ends. Beyond death, love that never ends. Um, there's there's this ask from the author. Again, I like to think of this book of Hebrews as a Easter homily. So at Easter, we do the same thing where we tell people that only come to mass on Easter, uh, don't avoid the assembly. You know, come to church. You know, do not avoid these love feasts, these agape meals, the, the mass as they know it. You know, there's this way that we enter into the sac. I mean, we, the the same daily sacrifices have stopped. That doesn't mean we don't still come, you know, weekly or daily into the presence of God and re commemorate these things. Enter into them. Enter into eternity. <laughs> um, there was these moments. I was talk- going to talk with Jim about. You know, God is still a consuming fire. You know, we still need this fear of the Lord. You know, um, he kind of gets into this, speaking of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. If Jesus has, you know, conquered sin and death, then we're all free, right? We, you know, we're all saved. We don't have to do anything. Like the old, that's old covenant stuff. where We had to do all these things. We had to do all these works. He says, not so fast, right? You know, there's still this sort of idea of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. This, uh, again, we can still put obstacles in the way of grace. Um, so, so much more there that obviously I, I, never get to, and that's okay. But I'll, I'll, I'll end with this, I'll end with this idea. At the very end of chapter 10, he says, you know, the just one shall live by faith, but, but if he draws back, I take no pleasure in him. And so I just want to leave you with that word, hypostelitai can't read it. It's all great to me. But I find it really interesting because hippo, hypostolos, one who is sent back, is, is drawn back, is actually the opposite of apostolos, which is apostle. So, again, the just one, the apostle, the one sent, will live by faith. You know, that faithful relationship to the one that sent you versus being a hypostolos, one who, is, who, who draws back, who, who refuses to be sent, refuses that faith. So basically kind of encouraging us to live as an apostle um, is, is kind of where I leave you guys. Uh, to not fall back, you know, to have that confidence uh, of what Jesus has done, you know, to allow him to confirm your, your own identity, your mission, your destiny, um, as part of, you know, he was thinking of you on that, uh, in that sacrifice on the cross and so you will possess life uh, I also make that kind of moment that that link that this I here is actually my soul my spirit will take pleasure you know, in you you will possess life you will possess this soul you will possess the glory of God the very life of God through his blood again through the blood the sacrifice you will possess this life as well so let's, uh, let's end in prayer if you have any questions uh, you could, you're free to stay um, but again thank you for just listening and opening your hearts opening your senses to what God has to give you through his spirits in the word so we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit Amen. Amen and Lord Jesus Christ you have passed through heaven and earth you have tabernacled among us and taken up your flesh, our flesh, to yourself, so that passing through the veil, you would present us to God Most High. So as we celebrate your ascension, where you go and take your place there, we ask you to prepare a place for us also, so that where you are, we also may be. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Yeah, thanks for staying a little later today, guys. Thank you, guys. Yes.